tonight in the ninth chapter of the book of Daniel. We will finish the book of Daniel tonight, which means I'm only on going to hit the high points of these chapters here that are remaining in the book of Daniel. As I said, we're not looking into these prophecies in detail. We've already done that in the past. Doesn't mean, though, that we couldn't do it over and over again. Uh, but we are looking at it from a real high flyover to sort of give you a, an understanding. I think sometimes when I do it this way, it even helps me to really understand, grasp the book better than to segment it and break it down verse by verse. That's good. But then I sort of lose where I am in the whole. So when we come and we just fly over and let you look at it as a whole. To me, it sort of comes together. I like that. Amen. All right. Ninth chapter of the book of Daniel, beginning verse 1. It says this, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenants and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments, we have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants, the prophets, which spake in thy name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. And so on and so forth, Daniel's prayer. We will uh, teach you about that tonight. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word, give you all the praise and the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Would be nice, wouldn't it, if we could control what is going on in the earth? Be nice if we could control what's going on in people. Be nice if we could control what was going on in our own selves. You look at the situation and, and you say, well, why didn't God stop that? Stop that horrible thing that happened in Las Vegas. Well, man has fallen. And if God had to stop, if God would have stopped him, God would have had to stop everybody. We're not in that time in history yet where God comes back, Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom. That it's going to happen in the future. You know, there are some people, brothers and sisters, that God can't do anything with. There's some people that God can't do anything with, man can't do anything with them, they can't do anything with themselves. And if God can't help you, if God can't do anything with you, there's, there's a place that is reserved for people like that. It's sad to say that there are people that are like that, that God, God can't do anything with them. And they're going to end up in the devil's hell. You know, if God would just, just take over and make everybody live for him, and everybody go to heaven, that's not the way it works. God gave man a free choice. He gave every one of us a free choice. And you and I have to choose tonight if we're going to serve God. You get to choose tonight 
And that, but I will say that because God gave us the ability to make those choices in life. It's called free will. That is one of the most dangerous things that God could have ever done for man. The most dangerous thing that God could have ever done for man was to give you and I a free will. That means that we can choose to follow Him or choose not to follow Him. That's dangerous. Well, why would God do that? Because He doesn't want a robot. He wants somebody that will serve Him and live for Him out of, his, out of their own free will, out of their own choices. Love Him because they want to love Him, not because He's making them do these things. But it's the most dangerous thing I think that God ever did for man was to give him a free will. Because that means you can choose to not live for the Lord. And everybody's going to make a choice. You're going to make a choice to build your, your house on a rock, which is solid, which is the Word of God, which is Jesus Christ, which is a life lived for the Lord. Or you're going to choose to build your life on the sand. And that's false security. It's a false hope. It's not real. You get caught up in your own mind and your own thinking. You don't think you need God, so you're going to build your house on the sand. The Bible says the storms are going to come on both. They're going to come on the house that's built on the rock. It's going to come upon the house that's built on the sand. If you built your house upon the rock, Jesus Christ, when the storms come, it'll not destroy you. You build your house on something that's not real. An unreal situation, unreal expectation. Really, a security, a false security that is not there. That you can do it on your own. You don't need God. When the storms come, and they're coming. The people that have chosen to build their life on sand. Of their own building. The, the things of their own building and making. It's all going to collapse. I want to be somebody that's building my life on the rock. Jesus Christ. Something that is solid something that's going to make it through the storms but you have a choice that's the point everybody has a choice that man climbed up the 30 something 32nd floor whatever it was he made a choice to do what he did okay everybody makes choices you made a choice to be here tonight you made a choice to make Jesus Christ the rock of your life but it, and at any time because God gave you a free will you can choose build on the sand and if you do it's going to be a horrible 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 collapse when it happens amen so build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ the situations we're in right now are only temporary it's going to get worse tough's going to get it's going to get tougher it's going to get more difficult I know you want me to tell you everything's going to be all right well as far as this world is concerned it's not it's going to get worse and worse. Evil men will get worse and worse and worse until Jesus Christ comes back. But the good news is those that endure to the end, the same shall be saved. you got a choice. you got to make up your mind. Amen? I can't do it for you. Nobody else can do it for you. you got to make up your own mind to make sure you're thinking right. Make sure you're thinking right. Say praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Because we're in a time that's going to test everybody. It's going to test everybody. It's, I know it's testing me. I know it's testing you. But Jesus Christ is faithful. Hallelujah. In the ninth chapter of the book of Daniel, we have a time where there has been a, a change, a kingdom change. And that is 
from the Babylonian Empire to the Medo-Persian Empire. Now, we already taught you prophetically the visions of Daniel, Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 8, the visions of Daniel. We taught those to you. We saw prophetically in the time of the Babylonian Empire that the Medo-Persian Empire would follow Babylon, then Greece, and then the Roman Empire, the final form of the Roman Empire, ten toes and ten horns, where the Antichrist will rise from, and Jesus Christ will come back at that time. So we have already showed you prophetically what was going to come. Now, we are in the history time of the Medo-Persians. That means the Babylonian Empire has fallen, and the Medes and the Persians have risen to power, so there has been a, a change. Now, I think you're smart enough, and you have enough discernment as the people of God, especially knowing the Word of God, that we're in times where things are changing. They are changing, and they're going to change on a drastic measure. And so now we see, we get to Daniel chapter 9, it's no longer the Babylonian Empire that is in control of the world, it's the Medo-Persian Empire. So a change has taken place. And Daniel begins to recognize this change. And he's going to put on a calendar, a timeline, the visions that he saw or that was seen in the image and in these beasts right here. He's going to put it in a timeline form, okay? And so as he begins to notice where he is in captivity in Babylon, he's been there at this point about 67 years. He knows the Word of God. He knows the prophet Jeremiah prophesied that Israel would be taken captive for 70 years. He knows that by the prophet Jeremiah. That's what it says there in verse 2. So, as he begins to look at this, he knows it's been about 67 years since the first deportation of the first group was took place, 605 to 606 B.C. And that's where we calculate it. Now, let me give you the dates. There were three deportations, for those of you who are interested in studying the Bible. 605 to 606 B.C., then 597 to 598 B.C., and then the final destruction of Jerusalem with the destruction of the temple was in 586 B.C. So, taking the 605 B.C., that means that he's about 67 years because this time that we're reading about is 538 B.C. It's the first year of Darius the Mede. Now, who is this Darius? This is, I believe, Cyrus the Great. You read about Isaiah chapter 45 about a man named Cyrus the Great that God was going to use to restore Israel back to their land. So we read about this man. He's called Darius here. It's basically a title of a position. And the time frame, first year of his reign, that's 538 B.C. So if you take 605 and 538 B.C., you subtract the difference, you're going to find out it's about 67 years. And, God, and so by the word of God, uh, Daniel knows by Jeremiah's prophecy that he's going to be in captivity for 70 years. So he knows something's about to change. Time of prophetic fulfillment. He knows it by the word of God, all right? Now, Brother Timothy mentioned a scripture in Romans chapter 13 that knowing the time, now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. Well, I thought the Bible says that no man can know the day or the hour. Yes, that the Bible does say that. But the Bible also says and that knowing the time. What does that mean? You're going to know the season. 
and that knowing the time. When somebody says you can't know when we're in the end times, they're not telling you the truth. Because Romans 13 says and that knowing the time, what an ironclad statement that is. Now is our salvation. That's talking about the eternal. That's talking about when Jesus comes back. Now is our salvation nearer than we first believed. It's a lot closer than you think. The coming of the Lord is a lot dearer than we believe. Amen. You with me? You understand that? And so as Daniel began to look at the prophetic word in Jeremiah, he knew it was 70 years. There was a time frame and he could calculate and he could figure out what's 538 B.C. So it's about 67 years since we've been in the captivity. And God said we're going to be in captivity for 70 years. So that just just a few more years. God's going to deliver us out of this place of Babylon. And so that's where it is, 538 B.C. And so Daniel, as by the prophetic word, understands, he begins to pray and he begins to seek God. Verse 3, Daniel's prayer. He says, I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Now, why would he do that? Why, would he, why if he has a word from God in the Scripture that the captivity is 70 years long and he's calculated, he knows that he's moving at the end of that time and if God's word has declared it prophetically, would it not automatically happen without prayer? Daniel had the prophetic word but he understood that in order for that, it would come to pass, but he understood his role and that was to pray in the light of the time, prophetic time that he was in. And the reason is because God doesn't do anything without prayer. God has chosen, God has chosen to limit himself to something called prayer. And even though God has made word, prophetic words and given prophetic words, he will not move until you pray. He did say it. His word will come to pass. But he's got somebody that's going to pray as well. And he's going to move his hand so that it'll take place. Well, I, say, well, I got a prophetic word that never came to pass. Did you pray over it? Because God has chosen. He's limited himself to prayer to be moved. Even though he has declared it in his word. So in the end time, the church, we need to be really in prayer. Major prayer. So Daniel has a prophetic word. He's got a promise from God. And so what does he do? He begins to pray. He begins to seek the face of the Lord. Now what is interesting is the way that he prayed. He literally became the incarnation of his people. That's what an intercessor does. He interceded and he said things about himself that are shocking. He said, we have sinned against you, O Lord. He said, we, to us belongs confusion of face. He didn't say, they sinned against you, Lord. He didn't say, those people deserve confusion of face. He said, Lord, we have sinned against you. We, including himself. And he said, the rulers of the people as well. He said, we have failed to listen to the prophets when they spoke the word of God to us. We have failed. We have rebelled. We have been disobedient. And as an intercessor, 
Daniel entered into the condition of his people. Where I, I don't read where Daniel was a sinner. I don't read where Daniel was a rebel in rebellion against God. I don't see Daniel as a man who deserved confusion of face. In fact, when you read Daniel chapter 1, you see how just pure he is and how righteous he is and how godly he is. He's a man that lives for the Lord and is faithful to God. But when he becomes an intercessor, he identifies with the condition of his people so that he says that he's a sinner. He says that we have rebelled against you, God. We have disobeyed the prophets. That's what an intercessor does. That's why a lot of times it's very dangerous to be an intercessor. Because when you start interceding for people, you're going to start feeling the burden. You're going to start feeling their condition. And sometimes you think it's you. You may not be guilty of that particular sin or that particular rebellion, but because you're praying for them, you're going to feel like them. You're going to feel like the, the rebel. You're going to feel like the sinner because an intercessor becomes the incarnation of the people that they're praying for. And it's, it's very dangerous to be an intercessor. You can have a lot of battles in your mind. A lot of things going on. Uh, Sister Christine and I are familiar with Brother Billy Cole. We went to a conference years ago. Brother Bill, Billy Cole was a great prophet of God. Missionary, I believe it was Italian, wasn't it? I think it was. His wife interceded so much for Thailand. There was, there was so much heavy, heavy witchcraft in Thailand. And she prayed and she interceded. She interceded so much against those principalities and powers of Thailand. They had to take her out on a stretcher to the hospital. And the reason why they had to carry her out on a stretcher is because of all the intercessory prayer that she had prayed. She became the incarnation of that nation. And there was a powerful revival that took place in Thailand through Brother Billy Cole's uh, ministry, but not just his ministry, the intercession of his wife. But it caused her to almost lose her life. When you get involved in spiritual things and begin to intercede for people and nations, get ready for heavy heavy, heavy spiritual warfare because you are literally inter incarnating yourself as the person as you're interceding and praying for them and you've got to be mature because you will go under if you don't understand what is happening. Okay, amen. Say praise the Lord. Take somebody that really knows what's going on because when you're interceding, man, you're going to start feeling like the people you're praying for. You're going to feel like you are the condition of those people. And it gets real confusion in your mind. But it's just say, okay, God, I know one thing. We all need you. And so Daniel literally entered into, incarnated himself in the condition of his people. And if you're, if you're not an intercessor, you don't have a clue about what I'm talking about. But if you're an intercessor tonight, you know what I'm talking about. You know the battle and the struggle that takes place. And you know that when you're praying for people, that you're literally entering into their condition and are becoming the incarnation of their condition. It's a great battle that takes place. But this is what God uses. God uses prayer. That's why the devil is always trying to stop you from praying. 
He will do everything He can to stop, stop you from praying and try to make you think, well, you know, God said it in His Word, so I don't need to pray. God has chosen to live himself he blamed the condition of the church at that time for what happened to him it's a man of God brothers and sisters an intercessor hallelujah we need people to pray like Daniel in this hour verse 15 now O Lord our God that has brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and has gotten thee renowned as at this day we have sinned we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all thy righteousness, I beseech thee, let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from thy city Jerusalem, thy holy mountain, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and thy people are become a reproach to all that are about us. Now, therefore, O oh, our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his, and his supplications. Cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary. This is desolate for the Lord's sake. Do it for your sake, God. It's your sanctuary. It's your land. It's your city. It's your mountain. That's the way you pray as intercessor. You, can, you make confession before God. Confess the rebellion. Confess the disobedience. Confess you're not where you should be. Confess before God. And they say, God, if you do these things, do it for your name's sake. Do it for your glory. It's your city. It's your Jerusalem. It's your mountain. It's your sanctuary. Do it for your glory. And look how he, look how he said, look what, the way he prays. Oh my God. Incline thine ear like this. Incline thine ear and hear. Open thine eyes and behold our desolations and the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousness, but for thy great mercies. I love this, the way he says it. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, hearken and do. Lord, please move. Please act. Hear. See. Act. Hear, see, and act. Hearken and do, God. Don't just hear the prayer. Don't just see the condition. But, Lord, move and act. Respond to the prayer. What amazing, amazing prayer this is. For thy city and thy people are called by thy name. While I was speaking, this is God's response to Daniel's prayer. He knows that at the time, the closing of the 70 year captivity, he's praying. So, what does God do? What is God's response to this prayer from Daniel? He sends Gabriel. Prayer moves God. Prayer moves. And Gabriel comes and it's at the end of the 70 year captivity. And God says, as he sends Gabriel, he says, I want to make it clear for you, Daniel. I want to tell you what's going to happen to your people. I'm going to show you what's going to happen 
to your people. And instead of 70 years, he said, I'm going to show you 70 times 7 years. I'm going to show you the history. History and theology. He says, I'm going to show you the time frame. I'm going to show you. And I'm going to show you the theology of it, what it means, what I'm going to do. Because you prayed. I'm not only going to allow my people to return home after 70 years of captivity, but I am going to show you their history. 490 years from a specific time, God says, I'm going to perform these things, certain things. Me here? Say praise the Lord. Now we see it. Look at it. So Gabriel comes. Verse 20. And while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplications before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. Yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. I want you to notice this. When Gabriel comes as response to Daniel's prayer, he doesn't come to confuse Daniel. He doesn't come to boggle his mind. He doesn't come to speak parables that Daniel is not going to get. Okay? If God sends an angel to you, He's not going to send an angel just to boggle your mind or, or an angel that's going to cause confusion in your mind. Whenever God sent Gabriel to that praying Daniel, the Bible says it was for understanding. It was to give him insight, to give him understanding, to reveal something to him, not to confuse the man. Look at it. In verse 22, he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. See? Didn't come to confusing. Sometimes people, they say, well, I got a vision from God, a vision of an angel came to me. And when they get through, I'm more confused when they get through talking. And I, you know, just just as well, you don't even tell me. Okay, if you're going to tell me that an angel came to you or you had a dream and you're going to interpret it for me, well, that's what you need to do. You need to explain it. Because I don't want want to look at you and go, I don't want to be more confused by your dream or your angelic appearance. Because that's not the purpose of it. It's to, it's to bring clarity. It's to, it's to give you understanding. It's hallelujah. To give you insights. It's to give you revelation. Not just to put on a show where you go, ooh, I saw an angel. Are you here? So, a lot of people say, I, I wish God sent me an angel. I'd love to see an angel. You'd be so caught up in seeing the vision that you missed the punchline. That's what I've been telling you all along. See, people get so caught up in the lion, the bear, the leopard, nondescript beast. They're so caught up in the visions trying to interpret them. They miss the point. They miss the message. 
And after the prophet gives the visions, he gives the punchline. But most people miss the punchline because they're so focused on the vision. Apocalyptic writing, angelic visitation, symbolic language, that type of thing, is really just God saying, I'm in control. If you're concerned about the throne, I'm going to set up my throne. I'm going to set up my kingdom. And I'm aware of history. I'm in control of history. And I'm going to bring it to an expected end. And I will sit on my throne and everything's going to be all right. Those that belong to me. If you get so caught up in trying to figure out all the visions, you might miss the punchline right in the story. God gives it. So now we got an angel. But notice Daniel, he didn't get caught when the splendor. I mean, yeah, he, he describes it sometimes. But he didn't miss the message. He said, God, so have you ever, how many of y'all ever prayed, God, send an angel, I want to see an angel? I have. Y'all haven't? What's wrong with you? I pray, say, God, send me an angel. I've been in situations of making big decisions in my life. Remember when I first started feeling called into the ministry? I wanted to be sure. So I prayed and fasted. And I said, Lord, okay, I'm not sure if you're calling me in the ministry or not, so uh, I'm going to go, I said, seven days. And, and God, in that seven-day fast, send an angel to tell me, you're called into the ministry. Well, four days later, no angel. Guess what I did? I ate. Oh, I set you up, didn't I? You thought, man, seven days. Yeah, he's going to make it the seven days. He's going to tell us an angel came to him told him, no. I bet, whoa, hallelujah. No, after four days, I got tired of waiting for the angel to come and tell me. I was called into the ministry and I ate. Guess what? I'm in the ministry. You know, God, God uses his sovereignty, uses other things. He don't have to come the way you want him to come, you know. Oh, wouldn't it be cool? Wouldn't that be a cool though, man? If I could have said, yeah, I fasted the, and on the seventh day, God sent an angel to me and told me I was in the ministry. And everybody go, wow. And you still be just as rebellious as you always been. It would have made absolutely no difference. Okay. The point is, so God sent this angel to bring clarity, to give revelation, to give insight, to give understanding concerning the people of God. Hallelujah. Amen. We're like that though, aren't we? I remember I went to a big conference. Some of the greatest preachers I, you know, you'll ever hear. Some of y'all are familiar with Lee Stone King, you know. In those days, I was seeking God about the ministry. You know, still seeking God about the ministry. Am I supposed to come go into the ministry, right? So I'm up there and I'm standing in the front. Lee Stone King gets through preaching and he starts walking toward me. And I'm thinking, he's fixing to tell me, you're called into the ministry. Hallelujah. You know what he did? He never even noticed me. He just walked right on by, dude. Like I didn't exist. God's not going to do it your way. Hallelujah. Say praise the Lord. Now, there must be something wrong with me. Everybody else has angels come to them. And... Praise the Lord. I just had something that wouldn't leave me. I had a call that just wouldn't leave me. I tried to get rid of it. It would just would never leave me. I just, it just stayed with me morning, day, and night. 
Amen? I tried to break free from it and I was miserable for six months. But God didn't send no angel to me, so I wish I could tell you he did. But when God, if God ever sent you an angel, just acknowledge the angel, but listen to the message. He came not just so you could see an angel, experience an angel. He came to speak. He came to give understanding, insight, revelation. He came to show you something. God ever sends an angel to you like that. It's very important. So we see here the Bible tells us for understanding and hallelujah. Verse 23, beginning of my supplications, the commandment came forth and I am come to show thee for thou art greatly beloved. Daniel was a man greatly beloved. John, the one who wrote the book of Revelation was the beloved disciple. I remember years ago picking up a man from the airport or actually at that time I think he was in his hotel picking him up to have for a service here and the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said you say this to him Daniel was a man greatly beloved John was a the beloved disciple and I said you are like those men you are greatly loved by God now, I will tell you this, just in passing. I don't know of anybody on the planet, personally, uh, that has ever gone through as much as that man has gone through. Okay? And so I believe that when God spoke that to me to tell him that, that he needed to be encouraged. Because he was going, right. somebody said Amen. <clears throat> Why would God? First thing, the angel says to Daniel, you're a man greatly beloved. God loves you, Daniel. I know, Daniel, you're in touch with your fallenness. I know you've been praying and confessing your sin and the sins of your people and the rebellion and the rebellion of your people and the iniquity and the disobedience. And I know God knew all of that confession. But when God comes to Daniel, he says, Daniel, this is the way I see you. I see you as a man greatly loved. Hallelujah to the Lamb. I'll guarantee you when he was praying in that intercessory prayer way, he didn't feel like that. Because he was literally the incarnation of a fallen people. He didn't feel that way. So God came and gave me a word of encouragement, Daniel. First of all, I'm going to give you a message personally. I'm going to tell you how much God loves you. And then I'm going to talk to you about the people that you're interceding for. Somebody said, praise the Lord. What an amazing God He is. That, that touch, just the touch of God. It, he didn't have to say that to Daniel. You're a man greatly beloved. But that's God, see. God. Daniel, you've been praying and confessing sin and your condition and relating to the people and entering into their condition and all that. There's no record of that for you, Daniel. But I just want you to know, say, God, how much I love you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Sometimes it gets crazy, doesn't it? You're caught up in all the messes of other people. 
and, and because of the message of other people, sometimes it's not you. It may not be you. It might be you. But it may not be you. You're just caught up in the message of other people. And I'm not talking about myself, but about you. And you feel just like dirt. And the Lord says, you're an intercessor. But I love you. You're faithful. Hallelujah. You're in the midst of a fallen generation. But Daniel, you are faithful. Brother and sister, you can be faithful in the midst of a fallen generation. You might be surprised. You just, see, that's a trick of the devil. He wants you to quit. He wants you to give up. He wants you to feel like a failure. He wants you to throw in the town. And if you'd have kept going, God would have looked at you and said, you don't know how much I love you. I want to be faithful because I don't know what God someday. Now, someday, I, I, I'm very aware it's possible that God, God might judge me. I'm very aware of that. But it might shock you someday. If you stand before God, God says, I love you. In fact, it might shock you today, tonight, that God's saying that right now about you. He's saying, I love you. You don't deserve it. You don't feel like you deserve it. But I told that man, I'm not going to give you his name. It's not your business. But I told that man, I said, God said to Daniel, you're a man greatly beloved. I said, he said to John, you're the beloved disciple. And I said, I say to you, that you're like those two. I said, God loves you. Amen. Say praise the Lord. Hallelujah. God would take the time to convey that. He just, I just, I'm blown away by that. I'm sorry. I don't mean to stay on that, but I'm blown away by that. Because sometimes, you know, we don't feel that, do we? We don't feel that way. We don't, we don't feel like God loves us. We don't feel like we deserve to be loved. Let me put it that way. We know God loves us because God says He does, but we don't feel like we deserve it. So all, all day long, we're going around beating ourselves. Because we don't feel like we deserve it. Be faithful. Be faithful to the end. Serve God to the end. Because God may say to you just the opposite of what you think about yourself. Hallelujah. Now, obviously, if you're a scoundrel, you know, there's no play here. There's no, I'm not going to play gymnastics with it. If you're a scoundrel, you're a scoundrel. But if you're faithful, you're faithful. And you feel, you're faithful. If you are faithful and you feel condemned, the word for you is, you're beloved. You are the apple of God's eye. He cares about you. When He looks at this church, He looks at you through His blood. Every one of us deserve His wrath and His judgment to come down on us. And when we pray, we need to humble ourselves and we need to pray with that in mind that we deserve the judgments of God. I do. My family does. This church does. This city does. This nation does. But there are some people that walk with God and are faithful like Daniel. And those people are beloved by Jesus Christ.
You're beloved of the Lord. He's amazing. The love of God. The way, the way that God will intervene at times on the behalf of people is, is mind-boggling. Boggles your mind. I've seen God recently do, do things for people. I'm not going to tell you about them because they're, they're between God and the person. And I know about them. But I've seen God do things for people that blew my mind. If it blew their mind, I know it blew. If it blew my mind, I know it blew their mind. All God's got to do is just speak. And you walk around, you feel like, you know, whatever. I just say the word scum. And God says, no, I love you. And he's, oh, he's just amazing. Just amazing. Hallelujah. Somebody said, praise the Lord. Trick of the enemy. If you're faithful, if you're faithful, again, no mental gymnastics here. If you're faithful, it's a trick of the devil, okay, to discourage you and call you a failure. Right? How many of y'all love the Lord tonight? You love the Lord tonight? Yeah. How many of y'all believe He loves you, though? Yeah, He said it. He said it, but do you really believe it? He loves you. You're the beloved. He is such a personal God. He's the one that is in control of history. The sovereign Lord of creation. Sets up on the throne high and lifted up. Above all. The most high God. And yet it's a personal God. To come down and tell you I love you. You know, it, it's just, he just blows my mind. He does. He blows my mind. You ever come to church? Sometimes you come to church and you don't really feel much. You're just there and you're worshiping God. You don't feel much. Then you come to church and you've had a real bad day. Maybe a real bad week. You're down on yourself. You're down on everything. You're down on everybody. And you come to church and you're not expecting to feel anything. Just like normal. And then all of a sudden, the sovereign move of God comes. And the tears start flowing. He said, Lord, I didn't expect you tonight. That's God coming to you and saying, I love you. You are my beloved. When you think you got it all together, that's when you don't feel nothing. You come to the house of God, man, you, it's been rough. And God touches you. He touches you. Oh, Lord, man, I didn't know you still love me. I didn't know you still love me. Who, me? I'm being real. That means a lot to me. When that happens, that means a lot to me. You're driving in, driving in your car down the road. You don't expect God. There's angels sitting in your back seat. You don't even know it. <laughs> angels sitting in your back seat. You don't even know it. And there once in a while, God will reach up there and touch you on the shoulder. And you're just driving along. You feel God. Tears start running down your face. And God just saying, I love you. I know you're, you know, I know that you're over here in the land of captivity. 
you're a prisoner, you're captured, worried about what God's going to do for the people, what's He going to do for you, what's He going to do for your family. All worried about that, you know. You're in theological shock because that of everything that has happened to you. Theological shock. And then God says, I love you. That's the way it is. When did he touch Daniel? When did he speak to Daniel that way? He spoke to him before the end of the 70 year prison sentence. That was the mercy and grace of God Almighty by way of an intercessor. Whatever you do, no matter what you do, no matter how bad you are, always make it back to the house of God. No, but I said again, no matter how bad you are, no matter, I'm not condoning it, I'm just telling you. No matter how bad you are, how bad you do, always make it back to the house of God and throw up your hands and confess it before God Almighty. You know, don't come in self-righteous. Don't come in like you're holier than thou. You just come in, okay? And if you're a prophet or whatever, good, apostle, whatever, you just come in knowing your need, lift your hands before God, and God will touch you. God hears the prayers of the humble. I will say it again. No matter what you do, how bad you are, keep coming to the house of God. And let Him, and let him deal with you the way He needs to deal with you. Let Him correct what He needs to correct. But never stop coming to the house of God. Because when you do, that's when God would have met with you and ministered to you. But it's on His time, not yours. It's on His time, not yours. You're not going to hold God hostage. You're not going to hold God hostage, honey, child, juicy fruit, sugar plum. You come to God's house no matter what. You lift your hands. And if He touches you, you better rejoice. If he speaks to you, I love you. You Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Those times will become very, very precious to you. The times you're going to go through your life, you know you don't deserve anything. Don't deserve the love of God. But he speaks. Amen. I need Him. I need His forgiveness. Sometimes I'm rebellious. Sister Kathy, why do you go, you don't believe that about me? Because you think, think good things about me. You're, you see, there, there's division in the church. So when I said that, you said, I don't believe that. Then half of them, I know, we know, we know, we know. We know. Amen. We're just waiting for confirmation. <laughs> We're just waiting for somebody to tell us. But I know. I know. I know what's in my heart. I know what's in my mind. I know I know what's in that fallen nature that I carry around. That dead man I carry around with me. You know. And it's amazing when the precious blood of Jesus comes in between me and my sin. The precious blood of Jesus comes between you and your fallenness and your rebellion and your disobedience. And just remember, honey, child, juicy fruit, sugar plum, it's not.
sins of commission that is your problem it's sins of omission you come to church and say well I haven't done anything wrong that's commission what have you not done that you should have done that's the sins of omission there's nobody in here that's done everything you're supposed to do throw your hands up and say God I've rebelled against you I've disobeyed you I've sinned against you might not be a sin of commission but I promise you there ain't a living soul in this whole church that's done everything they should do on the one hand Daniel could say things that didn't apply to him on the other hand he could say some things that did omission but the angel comes and tells him you're a man beloved begins to speak to him about things of the future. Theological shock, man. They're in captivity. <clears throat> what about the promise of God? What about the throne of David? What about the covenant that he made with Israel? What about the promised land? What about the sanctuary? What about all of that? These people are in captivity. There's no throne. There's no sanctuary. There's, they're out of their land. What about all that? Is God done? He sent them to captivity because of their sin. They're prisoners. They're being spanked. Chastised. But is God done? No. And this is what God is going to show Daniel to speak to His people that He is not done with them. He's going to show them history. Are y'all with me? He's going to tell them. He said, yes. He's going to show them. There's going to be more problems that are going to come. There's going to be more destruction, more persecution that's going to come. But that's only temporary. Stay faithful to God. So you can be accounted worthy. Generous kingdom. So he shows them the history of 490 years. Let's look at it. Verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people. First of all, the time. Daniel is going to put a time, a date line, on the visions that we've already preached to you about. The date line is 70 times 7. Now, 70 times 7 is not 70 weeks, 70 times 7 weeks of days. Okay? You with me? This is 70 times 7 years. Shavuot. And I know I'm probably saying the word wrong. Shavuot, Hebrew, very close. And I'm pretty close if I don't get it right. That word then speaks of years. These are weeks of years. 70 times 7. Shavuot. 70 times 7 years. So 490 years, God says. Speaks to Daniel. And Daniel, within that plan, Within that time frame, I'm going to get rid of, rid of rebellion. I'm going to get rid of sin. I'm going to overthrow it. I'm going to bring atonement. I'm going to bring everlasting righteousness. I'm going to anoint the most holy and I'm going to seal up the prophetic. Said, this is the theology. This is what I'm going to do. I'm not through with the people. I've got a plan. I'm in control 
of the rise and fall of kingdoms and I'm going to put it on a dateline for you. 490 years. Who's it for? Who's it about? He says, well, he says, Daniel, it's about your people. It's about your city, Jerusalem. Okay? He goes on and he says, the purpose of it, to finish transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. So within that time frame, I'm going to overthrow rebellion, to get rid of sin. Hallelujah. With me? I'm going to bring in everlasting righteousness. That's my plan. But I'm going to do it within 70 times 7. Well, he talks about the first 69 weeks. Verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem. Ah, stop there. So now God tells us when this begins. This 70 times 7 weeks or 490 years. When does it begin? The starting point. And he says very clearly, he says it's from the time that the commandment is given to do what? Speak loud, please. To restore and what? To build Jerusalem. When does it start? Well, if we look at the time after they leave the 70-year captivity of, of 536 B.C., You with me here? Well, no, that can't be it. What we have to do is, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna spend a lot of time tonight dealing all the different possibilities as to when it begins, when the decree, what decree it is, and when the decree started. Okay, I'm gonna tell you what I believe that time is. I'm not gonna go through all the possibilities. Is my point. Okay. If you go into the book of Nehemiah, let's go over there very quickly running out of time. I've spent more time on this than I thought I would. Nehemiah, very quickly, in the reign of Artaxerxes, the days of Nehemiah, this, of course, is after Ezra and Zerubbabel have returned back to the land and rebuilt the temple. Beginning in 536 B.C., the first group was allowed to go home but we're looking for the time of a decree that was made specifically to rebuild Jerusalem so we go to the book of Nehemiah please very quickly verse 6 Nehemiah says that thine ear he's seeking God about the walls that are destroyed in Jerusalem let thine ear be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee, and have not kept the commandments, nor the, nor the judgments, which thou commandest thy servant Moses. So he's praying, he's seeking God before he goes before Artaxerxes chapter 2 uh, chapter 2 
He goes before Artaxerxes. It came to pass in the month of Nisan, the 20th year of Artaxerxes, the king. That's a, that's a, a Medo-Persian king. That wine was before him. I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sat in his presence. And so to make a long story short, he's going to ask the king for permission and letters and a decree to go back and to rebuild the walls of the city. Look at verse 7. Moreover, I said unto the king, If it please the king, let letters be given me to the governor beyond the river that they may convey me over till I come into Judah. He goes into Judah and there they build, begin to rebuild the walls of the city. He's got a decree from Artaxerxes to do it. That decree, the first decree, was given around 447 B.C. But in the Nehemiah chapter 2, where he, the decree he takes with him to Jerusalem was given to him. Here it is, 445 B.C. Okay. Now, let's go back to the book of Daniel very quickly. <clears throat> so when did that 490 years begin? Verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth a commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince. So that's the first coming of the Lord. So we have a decree to what? To rebuild Jerusalem. That decree, I believe, 445 B.C., the decree that Artaxerxes gave Nehemiah to go back and rebuild the city. With me? From that time, 445 B.C., unto Messiah the Prince, His first coming. We have the exact time frame. From the time the decree to rebuild the city until the time that Messiah would come, we have the exact time. Look at it. Daniel. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. Stop. Seven weeks and three score in two weeks. So that's 62 plus 7 equals 69 weeks. Now what is 69 weeks times 7? Years. 69 times 7 years is how many years? 483 years. So God says from the time the decree is made to rebuild the city, we, we find out what time that is in Nehemiah chapter 2. It's the reign of Artaxerxes. Nehemiah received the decree. We know that's 445 B.C. Okay? 69 weeks, 483 years will come and go. Messiah will come. After those 483 years, now watch. Okay? Are you with me? Look at verse 25 again. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks, three score and two weeks. That's 69 weeks. That's 483 years. The streets shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times, which is in Nehemiah's day. Troublesome times, the wall was built. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. So we have the first coming of the Lord and we have after that 69 weeks, 483 years, 173,880 days, the Bible tells us that after that, Messiah will be cut off. When you take 445 B.C. 
do the math. It's 483. Messiah will come and be cut off. When you take that 483 years, you take the 445 B.C. figure, you do the math on it, that brings you to 31 A.D., the month of April, April the 25th, 31 A.D., the very day that Jesus Christ was crucified. To the day. 483 years, 173,880 days. To the day. That Nehemiah rode into the city of Jerusalem to rebuild the city the city with the decree from Artaxerxes and Messiah the prince has come and he's cut off but not for himself as Daniel says but for his people that's the sins of the people Daniel you know how I'm going to take care of your sins and the nation's sins and everybody's sins as I'm going to send Messiah his first coming going to come God in the flesh he's going to be cut off after 483 years 173,880 days and when he does he's going to re he's going to overthrow rebellion remove rebellion remove sin remove iniquity Hallelujah. perform the finished work that will bring everlasting righteousness that's 69 weeks well, let's keep reading And after three score and two weeks, shall Messiah be cut off. Now, you've got to add the first seven weeks to that. Because there's seven weeks and then 62 weeks. So it's a total of 69 weeks. After three score and two weeks, shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince. Ah, now we're talking about a different prince. The prince, Jesus the Messiah, will come. Is cut off after 483 years. But there's another prince that's coming. But, okay, and the people, say the people, of the prince that shall come, the prince that shall come, that's the false prince. He says the people of the prince that shall come, what are they going to do to the temple? They shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. Daniel, there's still going to be another time when the city is going to be destroyed again. There's going to be another time that even though after 70 years you're going to go home, rebuild the temple and rebuild the city, there's going to come another time when that another sanctuary is going to be destroyed, another city is going to be destroyed, and it will be done by the people of the prince that shall come. And who is it that destroyed the sanctuary and the city after Jesus' crucifixion in 70 A.D. The Roman general Titus. In the year 70 A.D., he went and he burned the temple to the ground. He destroyed the city. So Daniel, this is not the only time it's going to happen. It's going to happen again in the future. And we know that this scripture is fulfilled. The city has was burned or, or destroyed and the temple was burned with fire. And the people of God were scattered again throughout the nations. Okay, everybody with me? Watch. Follow the timeline. When did it begin? 445 B.C. The decree given to Nehemiah. 483 years, 69 weeks. 173,880 days. From that time that decree is given, that's cut off. 
The very day, April the 25th, A.D. 31, it was fulfilled. After that crucifixion of Jesus, Daniel is saying there's going to be another desolation, another destruction of Jerusalem, and the sanctuary is going to be destroyed. That was fulfilled in 70 A.D. And it was by the people of the prince that shall come. So we know who the people were. They were the Romans. The prince that shall come, the false prince then, we know, is coming out of the old Roman Empire. That's how I know where the Antichrist is going to rise from. By this scripture right here. Now we've already talked about it. In Daniel chapter 7, the little horn rising up from among the ten. Okay, in the fourth kingdom, which is the Roman Empire. But now I know for sure that the prince of the people that shall come and destroy the city. Who is that prince? He's of the Roman people. He's of European descent. Okay? That's why I believe he's going to rise out of the Roman Empire. The false prince, false messiah. So we know who the people are. They're the Romans. We still don't know who the prince is because he hasn't come yet. But we know who the people of the prince that shall come is and that's the Romans. Now let's keep going. Look at it. Verse 27, when this prince of the people that shall come, he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. That's the 70th week. 69 have already been fulfilled. There's still one week left, one week of years left, seven years left. It's known as the tribulation. It's known as Daniel's 70th week. In the middle of the tribulation, the sacrifice is going to be stopped, and that will bring you into the great tribulation. There's still one week to be fulfilled. And according to the Word of God, what starts that final week, Daniel's 70th week, is when the prince of the people that destroyed the sanctuary enters into a covenant or confirms a covenant with the nation of Israel. The word confirm means a covenant that's already in place that's only strengthened. It doesn't even have to be a brand new covenant. It could be something that's already in place that this this false prince comes and strengthens, confirms. So we're still, from our vantage point prophetically, we're still looking to the beginning of a seven-year period called Daniel's 70th week, which will start with the false prince entering a covenant with the nation of Israel. It is a false peace treaty. You, you see Israel enter into a peace treaty. Okay? You say, well, is this the beginning of the tribulation period? Could be. But there's going to be a man that's going to come along and he's going to ratify it or confirm it. And when he does, that's when the tribulation begins. Somebody will ask me, when the tribulation period, Pastor? Until I see that man come. And until I see a treaty entered in with Israel that confirms their peace, okay? I can't say we are. He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice of the oblation to cease. So he'll enter a, a, a treaty with Israel of peace, but then he's going to break that treaty. A, a treaty. He's a false prince in the middle of the tribulation period. And there'll be 1,260 days left. This is called the great tribulation period in the Bible. The last three and a half years of the tribulation period. 
after the Antichrist breaks that covenant, great tribulation, three and a half years, 1260 days, time, times, and a half a time. One year plus two and a half a time. The Bible mentions it that way. Great tribulation period is not seven years. It's the last three and a half years. And it begins when the Antichrist makes the covenant with Israel. He causes the sacrifice and the oblation to cease, which tells me that not only will that false prince confirm the covenant of peace with Israel, but there will be sacrifices and oblations that will be started up again. And he will stop that in the middle of the tribulation period. Okay? I do believe we're in those days. There's the priesthood right now that's preparing to offer sacrifices once again. Okay, they are they are looking for the ash for a red heifer, so there'll be an ashes uh, ceremony for the priesthood to be purified. They are in the process of getting the temple instruments ready to go. They're developing the clothing right now, the best the best the garments of the priests right now. I mean, you, know, you could just go online and look at this; you can find it. So preparation is being made now. The Jews want to rebuild the temple right now. So we're moving into very, very interesting times. But you see somebody entering a covenant and you see sacrifices and oblations start back up in Israel again. You get ready for the coming of Jesus. He called the sacrifice and oblation to cease and for the overspreading of abominations. He shall make it desolate even until the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. So what he'll do is, according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he'll go into the temple of God and show himself as God. He'll desolate, consecrate, desolate the temple by doing so and stop the sacrifices, make people worship him as God. And uh, there'll be three and a half years, 1260 days, time, times and a half time. Uh, that will bring uh, that to an end, his his desolation and uh, defeat by the coming of the Lord. Okay, say praise the Lord. Everybody with me? That's historical. That's the timeline. So God is showing Daniel, you know, Medo-Persia and these other visions that we saw Greece and the Roman Empire so on and so forth the Antichrist rising to power and the seven year tribulation period that's in the future theologically he's telling you what he's going to do in that time frame and this is the awesome good news he said I am going to finish the transgression make an end of sins make reconciliation for iniquity to bring in everlasting righteousness to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy amen that's the good news. Right? That he's not through. He is not through with the nation of Israel. He is not through today. Hallelujah. He's got a plan for the church, so on and so forth. So this is encouraging Daniel as God gives him this, this timeline. Now, chapter 10, I've got to move very quickly. We're in the third year of Cyrus the king. That brings you to 536 B.C. So God continues to show Daniel what is going to befall his people in the last days. So let's look at verse 14, chapter 10. Now remember Daniel chapter 10, Daniel again is praying and he's fasting for over 21 days and an angel comes to him again and uh, gives him further information. What does he tell him? Verse 14. 
Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days. For yet the vision is for many days. And when he had spoken such words unto me, I set my face toward the ground and I became dumb. Behold, I one like the similitude of the sons of men touched my lips when I opened my mouth and spake and said unto him that stood before me, O my Lord, by the vision my sorrows are turned upon me. I have retained no strength. Okay? So once again, God is still telling Daniel what's going to happen to his city. What about the sanctuary? What about the people? What about the covenant? What about the throne? And he's telling Daniel in apocalyptic form that he's got it all under control. That he will rule and reign. Okay, you with me? So, But he's going to give him some more details about what is going to come. So we'll go to chapter 11 very quickly. God shows Daniel that there's going to be four Medo-Persian kings. Just take, when you have time, read it. Four Medo-Persian kings that will come. The last four Medo-Persian kings that come, they will fight the king of Greece. They will be at war with Greece. Daniel, tell your people, right? You're in the time of the Medo-Persian Empire. You've been allowed to go back home. Seventy years have ended. But this is still in the future for Israel. Four kings. Medo-Persian kings. They will fight with Greece. A great king out of Greece will stand up. And he will defeat... The last, that last king that's mentioned in Daniel, the Medo-Persian king, he would defeat him. That's Alexander the Great. And then he says, when he stands up and he defeats the last of those four Persian kings, that he then will be defeated and his kingdom will be four. Just like we taught you the four-headed leopard. This is Greece. When Alexander the Great died, he divided his kingdom into four generals. So God says, four Medo-Persian kings will come. Look at, and then we see, verse 4, when he shall stand up, his kingdom shall be broken and shall be divided toward the four winds. That's talking about the king of Greece. That's Alexander the Great. Divides his kingdom into four generals. Are y'all with me? Okay. Beginning with verse 5 through 20. What God is going to show those four kings are four generals that Alexander the Great divided his kingdom under. Two of them are going to be the focus. It's called the king of the north and the king of the south. So as you go through Daniel chapter 11, you're going to see the king of the north and the king of the south. That's the Greek empire. Two of the four generals. They are known as the Ptolemies in Egypt, and they're known as the Seleucids in the north, Syria. From 5 to 20, they will, there will be a history. I don't have time tonight. We've already done it before. If you want the tapes or the CD, get it. I have gone through verse by verse and explained to you who these, every one of these movements are, when they happened, how they happened, who they were involved with. I'm not going to do that tonight. From 5 to 20, there is a conflict between the king of the south and the king of the north. Egypt and Syria. And they're trying to determine or fight over whose territory belongs to who through this long history. Okay? Between this Seleucid dynasty, king of the north, and the southern kingdom of the south, the Ptolemies. 
back and forth, back and forth, back and forth in these verses, back and forth. And as they go to war and fight, Israel's caught in the middle and they get trampled under feet as the Ptolemies and the Seleucids, the king of the south, the king of the north, are trying to fight over territory and Israel gets caught right in the middle every time. And God is saying, this is going to happen to you in the future. And then after that, He tells you beginning, and I don't have time to read all the verses, but beginning, beginning in verse 20, 20 through 35, He talks about a very wicked Seleucide ruler, a very wicked king of the north that will rise. We've already talked about him in Daniel chapter 8. The little horn that rose up in the Seleucide dynasty of Syria that was Antiochus Epiphanes. God says after the Ptolemies and the Seleucides fight over territory for a period of time, there will rise up a man that will bring havoc and persecution on the nation of Israel. It's known as the little horn of Daniel chapter 8. You can go back over there and reread that Daniel 8 passage. You'll see what I'm talking about. It's the same thing. So what God is doing, He's showing uh, Daniel the near history that's going to come during that 490 period years of time. And then He goes down at the end Beginning with verse 36, he talks about another leader that will come who Antiochus Epiphanes was a type of horrible persecutor of the people. There's another leader that's going to come, verse 36, through all the way to the end of Daniel chapter 11, verse 45. This ruler is going to come. He's going to be a king of the north. He's going to bring havoc on the people once again, but it is a future time. This is still yet to be fulfilled. Beginning with verse 36 all the way to the end of the chapter, there are people who will read this. They're called the Preterists. The Preterists will say, well, these verses were also fulfilled by Antiochus Epiphanes. Most people are very honest in saying Antiochus Epiphanes, the one we talked about in verse 20 through 35, could not have fulfilled all of these things that are written in the latter part, 36 through 45. It's talking about a future end time leader that will rise and bring havoc to the Middle East. Where's he coming from? He's coming out of the old Babylonian Empire. He's coming out of the Syrian area. Today it'd be modern day Iraq or Iran. Okay? With me? Now it's very it's very interesting because also we have that little horn rising up out of the fourth kingdom, the Roman Empire. So he's going to be in play at the same time. So you got the little horn out of the, uh, the Roman Empire. you got the little horn coming up out of the Babylonian Empire. Both of those. I believe there's two people involved. There's the Antichrist and there's a Babylonian ruler in the last days that will create havoc for the nation of Israel. Keep your eyes on Iraq. Keep your eyes on Europe. Keep your eyes on the nation of Israel. Okay, you with me here? So Daniel, this is what's going to happen. Now, I'm not going to break it down, give you all the details. You can read it. But it's telling you not only the back and forth of the Seleucid and the Egyptian empires uh, from 5 to 20, but from 20 to 35, that one Seleucid ruler called Antiochus Epiphanes, and then reaching into the future, the far future, but a future ruler that will come, northern ruler, 
It's like Antiochus Epiphanes. They will bring havoc upon the nation of the Middle East in the last days in that time frame known as the tribulation. Okay? And then the good news as I close is that in Daniel chapter 12, God says to Daniel, it's going to be all right. So all these things are going to happen in the near future and the far future, Daniel. But, and I put it in a date line, I put it in a, on a calendar for you so you'll understand the time frame and, and all of that. But the good news is this, Daniel, is it's going to be a time of trouble like the world has never seen. In the time of the end, the time of trouble like the world has never seen. That great tribulation period. But God says to His people, He says, Daniel, even then, I'm not through. It's going to look bad. It's going to look really bad. It's going to be bad. Persecution is going to be intense. A time of trouble like the world has never seen. But Daniel, I'm going to rescue my people. I'm going to restore my people. And they're going to enter into their rest. And they're going to enter into their light, their lot in the last days. All of these things are just temporary. God says, I'm going to map it out for you. I'm going to show you what's going to come. So you'll be aware of it. But just know I'm in control of everything. And I'm going to come back and I'm going to set up my kingdom. Now watch. And I'll read a few verses to you. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. There shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be written in the book. And what time is it? It's the last three and a half years of that tribulation period. How do I know that? Because the last few verses of Daniel chapter 12 tells you. Okay? I'll read it to you in just a minute. I don't want to lose you. I'm just trying, I'm going to teach you, then I'm going to show you very quickly. So the time of trouble he's talking about is the great tribulation period. That's 1260 days. I can prove it by the book of Daniel that from the time the Antichrist goes in and calls the abomination that makes desolation in Jerusalem, goes into the temple and claims to be God by the word of God, Daniel says it's 1260 days. Okay? So the time of trouble he's talking about right here that's going to come upon the world is that 1260 days. But God takes it further and says 1290 days. And then He says 1335 days. And I'm trying to explain to you the difference. So a time of trouble that's going to come upon the world. But here's the good news. At that time, my people shall be delivered. I'm going to rescue them. Everyone that, is, that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the earth, or dust of the earth, shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So he's promising deliverance or rescue, and he's promising a resurrection from the dead. And if you're faithful to God, salvation. If you're unfaithful to God, damnation. It's a hope, a hope for the believer. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. They that turn many to righteousness, this is the soul winners, as the stars forever and ever. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal of the book even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Daniel, shut up and seal the book. John was told in the book of Revelation to write as the book is unsealed. What was sealed in the book of Daniel is revealed in the book of Revelation. 
Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, there stood over to the one on this side of the bank of the river, and on the other side of the bank of the river, one said to the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, How long shall it be to the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, which he, when he held up his right hand, his left hand up to heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever, that it shall be for a time, times and a half. There it is, 360, 1260 days. Time is one year. Times is two years. That's three and a half time. That's three and a half years. 1260 days. And when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. And I heard, but I understood not. Then said I, O my Lord, what shall the end? What shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go thy way, Daniel. For the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Here's the punchline. Get this. Many shall be purified and made white and tried, tested. But the wicked shall do wickedly and none of the wicked shall understand. But the wise shall understand. And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, going back to Daniel chapter 9, in the middle of the week, from the time the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, and the abomination that maketh this is set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. We well, had already said times, time, time, times and a half time, that's three and a half years. That's twelve hundred sixty days. Now he says twelve hundred ninety days. Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the thousand three hundred and thirty fifth day. Now he adds some more to it. So he adds 30 to the 1260. And then he adds another 45 to that. A total of 75 more days. And he said, Blessed are they. Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the 1,305 and 30 days. But go thou thy way till the end be. For thou shalt rest and stand in thy lot at the end of the days. What is God saying? He says, Danny, I'm going to show you the history all the way to the end of the seven." Daniel's 70th week. I'm going to show you the history the last three and a half years. But not only that. He said, I'm going to show you what's going to happen to your people. I'm going to show you what's going to happen to the people who are faithful to me who have been tried and tested and were made white. They were purified. They did not backslide. They did not apostatize. They stayed true to God to the very end. Daniel, I'm going to show you who those people are that don't break my covenant, that keep my covenant. I'm going to show you. Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the 1335th day. Says you make it beyond the tribulation period. 75 days later, you're in the kingdom age. All the judgments have taken place. It takes time to inaugurate the kingdom. It takes time to do all the judgments. The Lord's going to come back at the end of 1260 days. After Antichrist sets himself up in the temple and makes himself his God, he's going to come back. He's going to destroy the Antichrist at the war of Armageddon. And then we have 30 days. Judgments taking place. The judgment upon Israel. Then the judgment upon living nations gathered at the throne of His glory. And then we have 45 more days. God's going to set up His kingdom. That's why God is saying, Blessed is He who waits the 1335th day because at that point you are in the kingdom of God and all the judgments have been completed by God Himself. Say praise the Lord. Hallelujah to the Lamb. 
So I close with this. In the light of this, Daniel and the people of God were worried about the you know the temple sanctuary, the land, the throne, the covenant, and those things. But God says, through my Messiah, through Jesus, I'm going to come and remove sin. Amen. And set up my kingdom. His kingdom will be set up. Be faithful to the end. Go to Isaiah 45 in closing. Please stand. Thank you for spending time tonight in the word of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 45. This should encourage all of us. We need encouragement, church. In the light of this, verse 20 of 45, assemble yourselves, come draw near together. Ye that are escaped of the nations, they have no knowledge that set up the wood of their graven image and pray unto a God that cannot save. In case you don't know it, that's actually a, an encouraging word for the time of tribulation when the abomination of desolation, the idol is set up, an idol unto the Antichrist. These prophecies here are about encouraging the people not to bow to that idol. Assemble yourselves and come draw near together, ye that are uh, escaped of the nations, that have no knowledge, that set up the wood of the graven image, and pray unto a God that cannot save. Tell ye and bring them near, yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Hath not I the Lord? And there is no God else beside me. A just God and a Savior, there is none beside me. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. This is what it's about. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. It's God calling everybody, all everybody, to be saved, to come to Him, and to be saved. Verse 23. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth, is in righteous, and shall not return. That unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. Surely shall one say in the Lord have our righteousness and strength. Even to him shall men come. And all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed. In the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory. And then Paul talks about it in Philippians. He also talks about it in Romans 14. That very same thing. In the light of what I preach to you tonight. Draw near to be saved all the ends of the earth seek God while he can be found serve the Lord be faithful the things you're going through right now are just temporary and they're really not that severe they're just temporary it's going to get worse going to get worse going to get worse but be faithful unto the end and God's going to bring his kingdom it's going to be set up this is only temporary amen let's pray Father we come before you right now we ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word. We give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise and the worship, God, today. God, touch, touch your people. God, give understanding, a revelation, 
to this church. Open our eyes that we may see. Deliver us, God. Cleanse us. Forgive us our sin. Sins of rebellion and disobedience. Hard-heartedness. To us, belong to face. You have brought a word tonight to us to encourage us to be faithful. You've also declared, Father, or not, then judgment will come. Let us listen to your word. And let us hear the words of a young girl in our church who you gave a dream to said the judgments of God are coming. Thank you tonight, God, for the opportunity to hear your word. Use us, Lord, to reach out to the lost in the next few days. Seek to bring people to the house of God that they might hear the truth, that they might be saved. Encourage God the faint-hearted tonight. And give us the strength that we need, Lord, to finish this race. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. You're